Welcome, 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 welcome to the Educated Food Podcast. I am one half of the Educated Food, Dr. J. And I'm your other half, Jarrell. Welcome back to another week, everyone. Welcome back. Welcome back or welcome to the Educated Food Podcast. This is your first time listening. We appreciate you. And for our returners, we definitely appreciate you. And like we say every episode, we really, really need um, you all to continue listening, to follow us, to like us, to share us so we can continue growing this Educated Food Empire. So we, we greatly appreciate the support. Um, I greatly appreciate the the DMs, the text about the episodes or or being interested in what we're going to talk about next week as the world unfolds. So we greatly appreciate the engagement. So continue to do that. You can find us on Instagram, Educated Food Podcast, and we're just going to keep on rocking. And like we do every week, uh, full disclosure, this is our second time, second attempt at recording this. Um, had some weather issues the first time we tried to record this. Yeah. There's some scheduling issues, so we're back here again. So um, we're not gonna rob y'all of our check-ins though. So let's check in. How you doing, my brother? My apologies, everyone. Uh, just to to say, it was actually me. It was my fault. I was going off on a tangent when we first tried to record, and none of it recorded because Comcast is trash. Um, so when you ask me, do I want, do I have someone to get out the paint? Yes. Comcast, get the fuck out of here because they've monopolized the Maryland and that's the only internet provider that we can use. And unfortunately my internet was trash and I recorded, a, well, I said a bunch of stuff that was never recorded. So now we're recording for the second time. <laughs> um, but anyway, I'm doing good, man. Um, coming off a really great week. Um, I have to say this though. So this week I had to fire my therapist. And um, I was in a situation where I don't think that it was mutually beneficial for us to continue a relationship because of her professionalism. I just didn't think that it was up to par. I didn't feel like she was listening. She would eat during our sessions. She One session, she took my phone call while she was driving back home in her car from getting COVID tested. And there was some HIPAA violations that I was concerned about. So she mistakenly cc me on an email that was for someone else and i saw their business and i was like oh yikes i don't want her to mistakenly cc someone else on my emails and then the fact that we weren't using a secured email system it was just like gmail like correspondence was even more weird so i was like you know what it's it's about time that we part ways so yeah but i'm feeling good after that like like therapy became a chore for me and therapy should never feel like a chore, right? Like it should feel like something that you want to go into to seek help and seek support. And I don't feel like I was getting that. And so um, I actually felt great once I dumped her. <laughs> now I feel wonderful. Um, how about you, man? How are you feeling? Um, I feel good. Um, you know, yeah. we we recording on a Sunday, which you typically don't do. So I'm like looking right. back and forth at football. So I apologize for me <laughs> uh, doing you like your therapist apparently was doing you. <laughs> no, it's quite all right. It's quite all right. Uh, so I understand. That is, I mean, I feel like I need to get bring my homegirl back on. She was my very first, uh, you know, episode when I first started the stage. Mm-hmm. And her recording really, well, her, hers was great. My recording wasn't great on my end, but uh, she's a black therapist. And I think we could have some some great combo about just the unprofessionalism in which I should be seeking when y'all are looking for yeah. a therapist. So I'll, I'll reach back out to her and we can have another another talk around that. But um, Let's do it. 
you know, I'm good. Um, this is one of the weeks where I'm home alone. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm dropping my, my family off with my in-laws every other week until the end of the year. Uh, so this is my week to be alone. Um, and my girls and my wife have officially broke me. Like, <laughs> um, she, uh, she FaceTimed me last night and, uh, my daughter was dancing to Billie Jean because she watched, <laughs> she watched, uh, you know, my Instagram story mm-hmm. where we were, we were at a kid's museum and every time you walked on the towel, it would light up. Yeah. So the Instagram story, I played Billie Jean, like the music video. So my baby girl watched that uh-huh. last night. So they FaceTimed me with her doing it. And so she was like dancing to baby Billie Jean. And like for a dude who's not emotional, like I teared uh-huh. up. Like I teared up. Bro, that's a baby girl. And my of wife course. was like, are you crying? I'm like, no, nah, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't yeah. worry about it. I'm good. But it's like. This is the second time where I've left my family and there's been a moment that made me emotional and I'm not an emotional guy. So like my, my girls have finally like broken through and cracked and like, cause I didn't cry when they were born. I didn't like, but mm-hmm. me leaving them every other week is getting a little bit di- more difficult each time. Um, good thing my wife right. don't really listen to our pod so I can say this cause I don't want her to feel guilty <laughs> about me, about, yeah, sure. about her spending time with her family, which she need to do at this moment. So, right. Um, but yeah, man, they yeah. broke me. They broke me. They broke me. Yeah. Uh, they still can't get anything they want. I'm still, still hard ass <laughs> on that, but, uh, okay. Um, that'll, that'll be broken soon too. I'm definitely a, a little bit more emotional than I used to be, which, which I'm happy about actually. Cause I, I hate my tough exterior. Like I hate that. I don't cry. Like I hate that. I don't share feelings. So I'm kind of yeah. happy that they started to tear it down a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, man. Like that's, I think that's similar to me. Like, I feel like I'm not. Or, or I am an emotional person, but my, my emotions are extreme. Like I'm either very cold or coming in super fucking hot, like bombs blazing, plane crashing, all that shit. Right. And so I feel like for me, my partner, uh, and shout outs to my partner. We just uh, celebrated a year of being together this weekend. Um, my partner has really broken down a lot of walls that I had up. Uh, and so I find myself like when we're watching movies, like I'll like tear up a little bit and he like, are you crying? I'm like, no, no, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. He like, nigga, you crying. Oh, that's my one for this episode. He's like, you crying? Nah. And I'm like, no, I'm not. But I was. <laughs> and my partner actually does listen to the episode. So now I'm gonna get hell. Because he knows that I'll be crying. Okay. <laughs> yeah, man. It's it, it was it was interesting. So but other than that, you know, I'm good. It's some it's some good at least it's some good games on the day um that is helping me out. Uh you hear me now? Yep. There we go. It, it was like my shit froze. So Oh okay. Um, but I kept us in, so I'll uh I'll edit that, listen to it, figure out where I gotta fix it. <clears throat> This is like the episode that just won't happen. <laughs> Man, I don't know. <laughs> and it's weird because I never lost internet. Like nothing happened. So we talking to y'all through through our issues. Y'all gonna be y'all gonna get the you know backstage access to this recording because something in the atmosphere don't want us to record this. Um, and but we gonna we gonna keep pushing through. So um, you got. Comcast out of here. We didn't talk about this Thursday, but mm-hmm. I feel we need to 
and that's Antonio Brown. I got to get Antonio Brown all the way out of here. And I don't even, it's not even a fact that he may have gotten a fake vaccination card, right? None of that has been confirmed. So allegedly Mm -hmm. his personal chef said that, you know, he, they helped secure him get a fake vaccination card. And the only reason why he came out with this is because AB refused to pay him. Like Antonio Brown refused to pay him, which the reason why I'm getting rid of Antonio Brown, 90% of the time he has an issue. It's revolved around him not paying somebody. Like he had really? movers move his furniture in Florida. He refused to pay them. Um, he did. He threw a party or something in Hawaii for Pro Bowl. Refused to pay those people. Like dog, you are a multimillionaire. You're no longer broke. Pay your bills, dog. Like pay people what they what they worth. Like this personal chef who l- moved to Florida from California because you was going to pay for his services. He's cooking you meals and you're an athlete. So you're probably eating five, six times a day. He's consistently feeding you. And when mm-hmm. the bill come, you don't want to pay him. So while old boy was foul for like snitching. Yeah. You got to pay people, man. Like you can't just keep doing this like you just can't keep getting services for free like you have to pay people so until he's willing to pay people he's gonna keep finding himself in predicaments that he don't need to be in and you got to go for that like that's that's the most annoying thing to me that that's up there with i saw on on twitter one time where like people weren't paying or they won't they weren't feeding like their mm-hmm. photographers at weddings and like they wouldn't let them eat. They wouldn't let them do anything. That, that's up there with there with me. Like, yo, y'all got to do better with services y'all provide or services you pay for or services you request. Uh, and stop complaining when the price point is higher than you want to pay. Like, that's not their fault. That's their service. Yeah. Like, if you want their service and it's too much at the front end, then don't use them. But don't complain about the prices people people have. Now, there are. I have seen some people with some high prices and I just choose not to go with them. Like, right. That is what it is. But if you agree to it and you know, that's their price, pay them. And it doesn't like people can set their price at whatever they want to set their price at. If they want to price themselves out, let them price themselves out, but don't complain about it. So AB got to get up out of here for that one. So I just Googled him because I didn't know where Antonio was from. And I found out a slew of information that I am now (laughs) about to use against him. Like, uh, AR rifle, the AR rifle that Kyle Rittenhouse had when he got off for killing people. Anyway, Antonio, yes, pay people. But this is classic. And 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 what bothers me is I don't want to say that this is indicative of his upbringing or where he's from or whatever have you, but it just said, Google just said that Antonio Brown is from Liberty City, Miami, Florida. <laughs> <laughs> I used to consult with a group down in Miami and the children that we worked with in Liberty City were of the most rudest. The rudity of these kids was on another level. Like, they were so rude, those kids. But I do think it's, you know, part of me being an undergrad uh, sociology minor, right? Understanding the sociological aspects of what makes people tick and all that kind of stuff like that. I do realize that in Liberty City, there's a high rate of poverty. There is, that's a very underserved community. There are people in that community who don't fully 
understand what mainstream things. Uh, well, I don't know. They they don't fully understand how to. I don't even know where I'm going with this. I don't even know how I want to say this, so I'm just not going to say it. Like sometimes <laughs> you, just know, you, you just need to know when to just shut up. So I'm gonna shut up. But what I will say is, yep. in Liberty City, <laughs> it is very it, it is a very impoverished place. Okay, he's from a very you know impoverished, underserved community, and so it doesn't help you, Antonio, that you're now stiffing people on the bill. Don't do that, bro. It really reflects poorly of where you're from, right? Just like when we used to go down to the Cheesecake Factory at the Inner Harbor in Baltimore and the waiters would automatically assume that we weren't going to tip them, which sometimes we didn't because we were little ghetto kids, right? <laughs> but they would be like, oh, these Baltimore kids, blah, 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 blah. Like, do your community a service and do what's right. Don't let yourself be a stereotype uh, or, or, or promote stereotypes from the places that you're from. Uh, and he's from Liberty City. Now, the second thing is, yo, his oldest son's name is Autonomy. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh at this child's name. It is very unique. <laughs> his name is Autonomy. I was like, okay. That looked like something that you saw in the dictionary. And <laughs> was like, that's cool. <laughs> autonomy it is. <laughs> I want an autonomous child. <laughs> and that's all of a say. <laughs> Sometimes you got to know when to shut up. <laughs> oh, man. We going we gonna to move on before you get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> But what I will say, um, you mentioned something that like the tipping thing. Yeah, I over tip, and because I over tip yeah. is because of that stereotype that people of color don't right. tip, and <laughs> it bothers me when I every time I do it, I'm like, Yo, I'm giving you this person this huge tip for no reason right. at all, just simply because I don't want them. To, I'm, I'm tipping for others who haven't tipped them before. I put it that way. Exactly. Um, and you mentioned something else. We talked about it a little bit on Thursday um, because we knew what was going to happen right on Thursday. We were like, yo, this kid is going to be found not guilty. Kyle Rittenhouse? Yep. Like We, yes, we called bro. her on Thursday before we they even that. get the verdict. We were like, you know, he's going, he's getting off. Um, it was, it was set up for him to get off. Um, the, the prosecution was terrible at what they were at their job. Terrible. I don't understand how you can't build a case around a kid who had a friend purchase a firearm. Yep. Walk around a city with that firearm at 17. Yep. And kill two people and wound another. Yep. Right? Like, there's this whole like self defense, and I understand that, like, trying to prove that someone wasn't in fear of their life is, is, is difficult. Like I, I have a cousin who's a lawyer she was like, it was difficult to prove that they weren't scared, but I could have did it. <laughs> exactly. Like with that said, in this case, you could have did it, but you also have to acknowledge that the judge Schroeder, he should not be a judge in any courtroom in the world. Any courtroom. There was so much he, judicial bias. And judicial prejudice, or just clear racism. 
racism. Like, absolutely. Like when you talk about racism and we talk about like racism is um, systems and people putting systems in place to um, disenfranchise or discriminate against another person or people or set a group of people like he that's who he he did everything in that courtroom to to prop Cal Rittenhouse up to help the defense by not allowing certain testimony certain evidence that will prove to be damaging to Cal Rittenhouse and he just was was not having it this dude at one point had a cell phone on like he wasn't like all these things are absolutely ridiculous. So it's, it's, it's disappointing, but yeah. as I put on Facebook, like I'm never surprised, but I'm always disappointed. Yes. Like, I'm never surprised when, when a white man gets off for anything, like I'm never surprised. I'm like, of course, that's what the system was built to do. Right. So all these people saying the system is broke. The system isn't broke. The system is working for the people that it's supposed to be working for. And this trial proved exactly how great of a system it is for those that is built to benefit, that is built to work for. So what I'm going to say in this regard, because I don't want to give too much airspace and time to this. This is the reason why voting is so important. It is. Right. And I'm not talking about anything that deals with Joe Biden or Kamala. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about voting for your president every four years. I'm talking about your midterm elections, the elections that impact your your DAs, your prosecutors, your attorney general, like those. That's who decides who is judging. So if you were voting in your city, in your town. For the right people, putting the right people in place, you don't get judges like Schroeder on the bench. Nope. Right. And judges like Schroeder stay on the bench because there are not enough people voting against or against him or for people that are more progressive in nature and not getting themselves involved in the the political arena. Right. Like they need to understand Schroeder's politics because everything is political. Everything. Mm -hmm. So this is where voting absolutely matters. Yeah. So I get so tired of hearing people that look like me. Or people of color say that voting, their votes don't matter. They matter more than you would ever imagine. And you want to know how it matters? They wouldn't be trying to strip you of your right to vote at every step of the way. If it did not matter. Yeah, absolutely. If your vote did not absolutely. matter, they will not be putting in things that stop people of color, low income folks, people who was unjustly caught up in the system from voting. It's the reason why our ancestors marched for this shit. Took bricks to the head, dog bites, like all those things you see because they understand that there is power in voting and it's so disrespectful. Right. That y'all don't do this. So you stop getting mad when judges tip tip the court in the favor of a white man when you had the power to not have that judge on that bench before because you had the power to vote and you didn't choose to do it. And that's where I'm going to leave it. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the city I live in is a very small city. I mean, technically, we are a we're, we're larger than a town, but we are technically a municipality, right? And so even with our votes, I mean, even with our um, elections that happen in our city, it's only, you know, we only get two representatives, 
for the the city. We get a mayor and we get a uh, maybe two at large members. But even with those five positions, I still make it my supreme duty to go out and vote for those five positions because or those positions that I can vote for because I want to make sure that our municipality is representative of what I need it to be. And I want people in those seats that are representing my interests. And so we need to also make sure that we go out and represent our interests. That's why Republicans are out here winning so much. They stick together. They know what their interests are and collectively know what their interests are. And they are not (laughs) the interests of the majority of this country, which ironically, they pass because they stick together. And they'll bend for their party, even if they don't agree with it, because they understand the long game. They sure will. They understand the long game. Right. So, like, I love and I can't think of I can't think of their the name that that they've been coined, but like AOC. um, I'm blanking on the the rep from Minnesota. Um, Starts with AOC, Ayanna Presley and Ayanna Presley. What is her name? Uh, It'll come to me. It'll come back to me. But yes, I do know who you're talking about. Right. Like, I love what they stand for. Right. Yeah. The squad. They, the squad. Yeah, the squad. I love what the squad stands for. But they don't know how to play the loan game in this political game. Yeah. Right. So they'll even go up because a bill might not have everything you want in it. They'll vote against it. Right. And which we don't have the luxury as um, the minorities in this system to do. Right. Right. You have to you have to take small wins to get to greater wins. And and they're there for many of those in the squad. It's like all or nothing. (laughs) Like, nope, I don't see this. What I want in this bill. So we ain't passing. Republican be like, I don't care. We're going to pass this. And then down the line, now you owe me a favor to get what I need. Right. Like y'all got to understand a long game and I don't, they don't, we don't play the long game long enough. Right. We won't change like today. Like, nope, we need to change this today. We need to start playing a long game a little bit better. Right. We need to start playing a long game a little bit better. So, um, let's, let's, let's move on from there. Um, cause we got a lot we want to get to today and we, we got to also get back to what we talked about on Thursday. <laughs> and right. one of those things we talked about on Thursday and I'm going to let you take it away after I after I throw you this live. Women choosing trash ass baby daddies. Woo! <laughs> I'm talking to my B A B Y M A M A. This goes out to all my baby mamas. <laughs> Listen, so this week, <laughs> this week was a bad week for baby mamas. So, or, 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 or women who are carrying trash ass men's children. Okay. First of all, you knew the fetus was trash. Okay. You should have known because his head is in the shape of a PT cruiser. How about that? Why would you have a kid with a child? I mean, why would you have a child with a person who? Might give your baby a PT Cruiser head. I never figured that out. But what I will say is, Danny Lay decided to go ahead and do that anyway. She decided to have a baby with the fetus. And 
she was in a relationship or, or or a relationship of sorts. Or she was in relation with the baby for three years before she had this child. And the last three months of her pregnancy, apparently she started living with him and she gave birth to the baby or she gave birth to the baby, then started living with him. I don't know how it how that went, what the, what the order was. But what I do know is that this week they played out a soap opera worth of stuff on Instagram and through iOS press, press release, which... By the way, I do have a problem with iOS press releases, but that's for another day because <laughs> iOS press releases are so trash. Like if y'all are that rich, y'all need to have a PR person. Y'all need to have a PR team to give you exact direct press releases, but neither here nor there. So with the baby and Danny Lay, everyone kept telling her, dog, don't have a baby by him. He's not going to be this person that's going to be there for you. He might be there for the children, which I will give it to the fetus. If there's one thing about him, I will say he's a great father or what I can see is a great father, right? Like he spends time with the kids. He takes the kids out. Um, he may do some inappropriate stuff with the kids, like have them a little bit too much in the limelight and have them wearing huge jewelry that is looks very expensive that probably shouldn't have kids wearing, but neither here nor there. Um, what I will say is he's a great father. He had a great father, which is why he wants to be a great father, but he will not care for you. So I don't understand why these people, I won't say women because it's not just women. Men do this too, right? Why these people go out having babies by people that they know are not, they ain't much of anything. And you think you can change this person. You think this person going to be a family man or a family woman or whatever have you, or family person, because y'all have a kid together and all that kind of stuff like that. A kid is not going to change nobody. A kid won't change a person. What will change a person is if they really want to change and if there is a spark or impetus within them to actually change. And this young man clearly proved to you throughout this three years that you were with him because Danny Lay on the iOS press release mentioned that the reason why he put her out of his place with the baby, their baby, not the baby, but the, the baby, Jonathan Kirk, <laughs> put Danny Lay out with their child because she sent a plan B to his condo because she said he's out there fucking his baby mamas and uh, his ex-baby mama or his baby mamas and like industry hoes, which the baby is very clear with you that he does that. Right. He's, he's very honest, very direct, very open. What behooves me is why you would think that this person would change for you, Miss Redbone. Because remember, Danny Lay was the, the, the same woman who <laughs> let let us not forget. She had that Redbone song. I'm a Redbone. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, hmm, trash. But <laughs> yeah, what's your thoughts on this, man? Um, one, I didn't even know who she was until all this happened. <laughs> like, you had to let me know she actually <laughs> sings. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, She's a singer. Cool. She has a great um, song with Chris Brown that I like. It, I mean, it goes back to like how we ended last week's episode, right? With my educated foolish talking about Summer Walker. You're the yes. fourth baby mama. What didn't you learn from the first three? Don't know. Right. Like, and I'm a researcher. So like for me, I'm like, yo, some of these things don't add up. Right. And I know mm -hmm. 
people like this in my life who have had a baby with a trash male or female. Mm-hmm. And y'all went in knowing that they were trash, knowing that your relationship was toxic, knowing all of these traits about them. And yet you still decided to have a child with them. Right. And for me, I never feel I never feel for the adults in the situation. I feel for the kids in the situation because you have brought a kid into the world into complete, utter dysfunction and foolishness. Right. And as much as you hate, like the iOS releases, I hate the the Instagram lives of all these things yeah. because now this is living on the internet forever. Mm-hmm. And like your kids have to deal with this. Like you don't have to publish and broadcast everything to the world. You right? don't. Like if me and my wife is having a disagreement, I'm not about to go on live and just show us arguing and fighting and all of this foolishness. Like what I don't understand our generation needs to run to the internet for everything, for everything. It's like some of these things need to be kept behind closed doors. Like if that was the case, we wouldn't know that they were having this relationship squabble right now. Like we wouldn't know, you know why we know and why everyone's in your business. And then you get upset when everybody has an opinion about it. It's because you put it out into the world. Like, Y'all are going on live. Y'all are posting this on y'all story. Y'all are typing up press releases on Instagram and <laughs> sending them out. Like, what are y'all doing? First off, I don't care. Why are you sending me a press release about your relationship? I don't care. Not a damn. <laughs> like, why is this a thing? PR statements are when you F up and you need to fix it and clean it. Not because your baby daddy is kicking you out the house and calling you a side chick. And that's not the truth in your opinion. Like, that is not what these (laughs) PR people are there for. I know, like, your PR person, when you approach them with this or you do it without them, they're just like, what the hell am I doing in my life? Like, why? (laughs) Why? (laughs) Why am I here? Just that bullshit. (laughs) Like, why am I here? I mean, a check good more than likely but why why am i dealing with this foolishness like we have y'all have to stop this and for those of you in relationship with trash people one you know they're trash you know they're trash or your relationship in general is terrible and drell said it yo a baby does not fix the problems in your relationship it It actually makes things a lot worse it does a lot worse Like me and my wife will say we have a really great marriage, but having a kid and now two kids, we are learning things about each other all over again or new things about each other that we have to work our way through. So absolutely. We're doing that as a couple who had solid and strong foundation. I can't imagine if we were on Rocky Foundation where we would be at this point when we have a disagreement or don't see eye to eye on something as it relates to our girls or how, you know, one go choose to go about something like I, I just, some of the strongest marriages end because of child rearing, right? Like because of differences in philosophy of child rearing, that's. So if you don't have a solid, like you bring a kid into this, into this world under amongst that havoc, like it doesn't make your relationship better. It doesn't. And now you have an innocent victim in all this. 
Like that's who I always feel for. Yeah. I feel for the kids when I see these parents doing all these dumb things. So, yo, you with a trash person, don't let don't have a kid with them, right? Wrap it up. There you can either wear a condom. There's multiple forms of birth control. And as all this fails, as what turned all this on its head last week, there's plan B. So there is. I was just joking with my cousins and our so my cousins have a group chat and I was just joking with them that I believe in abortions. I do. I think that it is reproductive health. I think that it also ties into reproductive justice as well. And I'm not advocating anyone to feel the same way that I do, but just saying if there's a situation where, you know, you've you've done the grown up, okay, because we all do the grown up, and the the grown up that you do produces children, because <laughs> not all of us do the grown up and are able to produce children as a result, even if even in straight relationships, right? But if you two are able to produce children as a result of y'all doing the grown up, there are always options if you all don't have a strong foundation and a strong unit. Oh, even if you do have a strong unit and a strong foundation, there still are always options, reproductive options for you. Look into them. That's all I'm going to say. That's <laughs> a, a crazy ass transition right now. <laughs> yeah. 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 So as we were talking about abortions and plan B's, you dropped an article on your Facebook earlier this week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this article hints at some of the things within our field of higher ed that has pushed people out yep. or discouraged people from getting in. So this was what we originally wanted to talk about and discuss mm -hmm. is our field and the mass exodus that is continually happening. And for me, a person who's still drinking that higher ed Kool-Aid um, is a very important field. But there's a yes. lot of people pivoting out and getting out of it. So we want to have this discussion because it can it can be transferable to, to anyone's field who's listening to this. But for us in particular, because it hits home, the, the article is interesting to me. I have some yeah. some thoughts, um, but I'll let you introduce it since you posted mm -hmm. the article. You felt more stronger yeah. about it than I did. So, you know, let, let's hear it. Yeah. I mean, so so speaking of being in loveless relationships, right, or relationships that don't give you back what you give in return. So I think that a lot of people in higher ed are transitioning out of higher ed because they're not feeling the love that in return that they put into the field, right? Like higher ed as a field is is super relevant, highly, you know, transferable skills that you obtain as a result of being a professional in this uh, in this arena. Um, we have the ability to impact and change lives. So I'll never take that away. But there are people who are pivoting out of the field because they feel like, hey, I don't feel like the love is being returned to me in ways that I feel are valid, right? So the article that I posted was an article that was 
posted in higher ed jobs. And I actually got this article from the Black SAP group. So it's the Black Student Affairs Professionals group. Someone posted in there like leaving this without comment um, because none, none of us want to really comment on this because our salary experience is, you know, very across the board and, and, and people's feelings are what they are. And so I get it. I get that and I give it to everyone. So I reposted it and I just put as a as a comment a posting because I want people to understand. I, I want people to read this and I want people to ingest it and understand what is going on here. So in our field, uh, people are getting really concerned that in higher ed, there are no salary postings on a lot of the jobs that are being posted. And one of the reasons why the salaries are not being posted is explained by uh, Deborah Hackey. I hope that is your name and that I'm getting it correct. Um, so Deborah Hackey is a student affairs professional at the University of Cincinnati. So she's a uh, she works she's the director of talent acquisition, excuse me, at University of Cincinnati. So basically, she's like a recruiting specialist, uh, and she's the director of recruiting at the University of Cincinnati. So she is in charge of the division of HR that brings talent into the University of Cincinnati. And so what Debbie says is the reason why a lot of salaries are not being posted, and I'm going to quote, Debbie says, transparency is extremely important, but it runs both ways. Experience has taught employees if they post the range, everyone always wants the top number. On the other hand, providing the starting salary may be too low and could discourage good applicants from applying because they feel the pay is inadequate, even though there may be the other attractive non-monetary benefits, or there may be other non-monetary attractive benefits. So employees default to the easiest practice, which is to post no salary and ask their applicants to disclose their needs. So basically what they're saying is they're not going to post the salary. They're going to ask you what your salary requirements are, because when they post a salary range, most people want the top dollar instead of asking for somewhere in the middle, which is recommended. And the lower amount of the band or the spectrum may be too low for people who want more money or more compensation. And it also doesn't give them an opportunity to sell some of the non-monetary benefits like, um, you know, vacation, leave, family paid time off, and uh, a host of other things like benefits, uh, medical, dental, vision, all that kind of stuff like that. And so my thing is, especially as a person who is a hiring manager, one of the things that I want to do as a hiring manager, or one of the things that I strive to do as a hiring manager is to post the salaries because I feel that that's important for some people, but our HR department doesn't allow us to post the salary ranges. And so what I do is totally within our guidelines of HR, I give people a general number, um, a general range that is close to the middle. And I say, this is usually what this, uh, what the salary expectation is for this particular position. Um, I'll give them a middle number, which is approved through our HR and send them about their way. But I do understand where people are like, look, I want to know what the salary is up front because the salary may be too low and y'all may be asking for way too much and may have these people who or, or may be asking for people who have years of experience, dual degrees or, or triple degrees, like a, a terminal degree, but only paying about $60,000. And that could be problematic for people. And so 
there's some outrage out there about why people don't post salaries. I understand that outrage. I understand the other side of, I understand what Debbie Hackey was saying too, right? Like there's a whole other side of this. There's the business side and we want to make sure that we protect the business. But then people are like, especially in this self-interest world that we live in right now, people are like, what's in it for me? Y'all going, y'all going to pay me or not? <laughs> and most times with, with education, the answer is no. <laughs> um, they're going to give you other benefits. But as far as the pay, one person in an interview that I had before was like, one of the things that we come into this field for is not the pay. It is for the experiences. It is for the opportunity to help students and things of that nature. I looked at her like, mm, that's some bullshit. But <laughs> um, that that is an attitude that exists out there. So I don't know. What's your thoughts, Jeff? Because I walked the line. <laughs> um, I I come from, you know... I lean more heavily towards, you know, Deborah Hackey's um, reasoning for why we don't post salary. And for the institution that I work, we do. We post we post a range of like what the salary range is going to be. Um, and I, we benefit from it sometimes, but there's been times where it is, you know, bit is, you know, and we've been burned because of it. Right. We go through a whole recruitment process, which recruitments aren't inexpensive. At times they are an expensive process and you mm-hmm. go through a whole process, you get through it. And then that person wants this range of salary that you aren't able to meet. Um, and coming from, you know, being, you know, a hiring manager, overseeing a department with a budget, understanding the, the needs of my department, needs of what we need to do to get accomplished with our budget. Um, there's just times where I just can't bend on a salary because if I do, that means that I have to pull resources that can directly impact the student's experience or directly impact our department. And right. so for me, when I when I see those, when I see more times than not, um, people upset at the salary ranges that we are able to offer in some of these positions. Um, I always want to have a conversation about, do you actually understand how money works within a, a university structure and university system or a college system? Uh, so I, I get like, there was a position that I applied for and the whole time I was nervous and worried about the salary because it wasn't posted. Mm-hmm. And I was nervous that like, if they offer something, if it's $10,000 less than what I'm making now, I wasted a lot of time going through this process and it'll be frustrating and disappointing on the other end. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's where I kind of flip flop and I'm like flip flopping as I'm talking to you. Right. Because Mm -hmm. um, they're like, for me making the salary that I make now, I need to know where my salary is going to be moving forward or at least a range or at least an idea. Um, Because, you know, taking a, a cut at this point is difficult. It's hard. I've I've been accustomed to the salary that I'm making now and the life that I'm living now. So it has to be either the same or more. But I know by posting the salary, you don't get you don't get top you don't get the top candidates like you don't. Yeah. 
Right. And that's what Deborah was saying. Like, if we don't post that salary, at least we can get those top candidates in the door. And maybe I can sell you on our culture. I can sell you on these other non-monetary benefits. I can sell you on, hey, don't you know, we, we have a wellness plan where we'll pay for gym memberships or we'll do all these other things that may make that salary um, a little bit better because I'm taking another cost away from you. I'm taking another bill away from you. Right. Um, I'm lowering your cost of health care. Like I'm doing all these other things to potentially, you know, because we want your talent. So we want you here. But unfortunately, we just don't have the budget to take on what you're looking for. And I feel like. Yeah. Not enough people do their research on the institutions they're applying for, the positions they're applying for. Um the cost of living of where they're applying for um, because all those things matter as it relates to salary. And you have to think about those things. So like, I know my mentor took a pay cut leaving California, but it was actually a raise. You know why? Cause he moved from California, Southern California to North Carolina. Ooh. Cost of living is completely different. Yes, it is completely different. So yes, while the salary might not look like how it looks in California to a VP, he actually was making more money because his money went further and he could do more things. Right. So like these are the things that I don't think a lot of people in our field really think about when they look at salaries. Uh, but also. Because we do put up with a lot, we also forget that, yo, educators, unless you're a president or a VP, you're not making money in this field. No, no. So like that's why I never really harped on salary too much. It's because I was always brought in by my mentors with that understanding. Like if you looking to make it like make money in this, it ain't really there until you get all the way up into the field. Uh, is that right? No, our administrators, some some schools have some ballooned administrator salaries. I give it. I give you that. Like, yes, other people could be making a lot more and lower level positions because administrators have some ballooned salaries. Now we can have a conversation about that. Yeah, um, but I think we penalize departments and hiring managers way too much for something that they don't always have control over. Not at all. Yeah, I don't. I don't have control over how much money is in my budget. I'm given this budget, and I have to work within it. Yeah, yeah. Some someone told me once that it's you know to work in higher ed is a values trade off. I don't necessarily believe that, especially when it comes down to pay. What I will say is a values alignment, right? And so if you are in this field because you genuinely want to help and support students, you want to help with their transition, their development, their progression, their retention, their graduation, all that other kind of stuff like that, that is completely fine. That is what you're here to do. But also realize, as as, as the doctor said, when you work in education, there isn't much money except for those top positions, which a lot of people don't, don't make it to. Uh, people may aspire to those positions, but they may not make it. And that's, you know, a, a whole different conversation for a whole different day. But, you know, if you are in this because you truly believe in those things, then you will, you know, you'll move around, you'll, you'll take positions that more closely align with your expectations. I remember when I was assistant, well, when I was an assistant director and when I became a director, my salary almost doubled. Right. But I spent my time as an assistant director and was paid what I was paid because 
I realized the value in the experience that I was getting. Like I was literally an assistant director working as a director autonomously, right? Like doing, running the office. I had about 30 student employees. I had a grad assistant. I had three student coordinators. I was running the office. I was managing the budget. I was doing this. I was doing that. And that set me up for my next step, which is what I wanted. I wanted to be a director. And so had it not been for that experience, if I would have said, oh, no, this money is just too, I'm not taking this money, whatever have you, then I would have missed out on a great opportunity to gain the skills that I really wanted to gain in order to move to my next step. And sometimes you have to think about it as as, as chess and not checkers, right? Like you have to make a strategic move and say, okay, while they may not pay me as much as I want to be paid here, you have to think about wh- where where the value lies, where the... And, and sometimes it lies in the experience that you get. And a lot of people will sell you experience in this field. It's all in what you do with it after you move from that particular position. Um, now, don't fumble the ball, because if, you, <laughs> if you're in this position where you only make about 40-something thousand and you're an assistant director or whatever have you, and you aspire to be a director or a, a dean or something like that, then make this move your best move. Get the experiences that you need in order to move to those levels that you want to move because if you are in a situation where you make lateral moves when you know that's not what you really want and you know that's not the salary range that you really want, then you're only, you know, stewing your stewing in your own regret. And like I get it, right? Like I am speaking from a yeah. a power position where I make I make a I make a decent salary in higher ed right so right. I speak from a position of like all right Definitely. so like I, I i'm going to acknowledge that and i've been there right my first full-time job out of grad school with my master's i was a resident director making like twenty eight thousand dollars a year mm. right so like yep. i've been there like yo this is this is crazy Mm-hmm. Like I have my master's and I make it twenty eight thousand dollars a year, um, and once again I was in North Carolina, so I was able to, you know, my money was able to move a little bit more. Now if I lived in California and I was making twenty eight thousand dollars a year, right? Poverty, poverty, <laughs> right? Like poverty. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. But when I made my lateral move from North Carolina to California, that salary made that move with me, right? So like mm-hmm. instead of twenty eight, I think I was like around forty five as a resident director. Right. Just because of where where I'm going to be. So, like, you always have to understand those things. It's once again, cost of living. What was I getting out of that experience? What were the other perks? Like, okay, I'm only making forty five. I'm in California. But, hey, it's a live on position. So I'm not paying rent. Right. Right. So I think about all these things that that matter. And like you said, said, you know, in in your last statement, and it's something that Charlemagne kind of put on his book, like. Everything doesn't always have the the money attachment to it, right? So sometimes these experiences are worth more than that salary that you're making. Absolutely. Right? And it's hard to think about it that way when you feel like you're not being paid what you're worth. And if you feel like you're not being paid what you're worth, what I always tell people, it's go back into your job description, right? If you are overextending yourself and you're on all these other different committees, you're doing all these other things, like... You might want to pull back. You might yep. want to pull back. Yes, you're passionate about all these things, but if we're not, if they're not paying you for that, and you find yourself burned out, frustrated, mad about those things, mm-hmm. 
that's on you, boo boo. It is like that's on you. I tell people that all the time. Like, yo, y'all don't pay me for this committee, so I'm not about to stress myself out over this committee. Like, this is not like this is this is not what what I'm being paid to do. This is what I tell my younger uh, colleagues who who kind of look to me for guidance in certain situations when they're struggling and they're burnt out. I'm like, because you're overextending yourself. Yep. Like, that's a reason why so many people in our field leave. Because, yes, we're passionate. We want to affect change and do all these things, but then we overextend ourselves. And now we hate the field or we hate the work. We hate the place that we're doing. When more times than not, it was you who put yourself in those spaces and and took on new duties, created new duties out of passion. And then you get mad when no one's recognizing that. And they're like, because we no one told you to do that. Yeah. <laughs> that, it's, it's hard to hear. Yeah. But it, it's the truth. Like, I didn't ask you to be the advisor of four different clubs. Truth. Yeah. Like, that I didn't ask you to do that. That takes me to a conversation I was having with my assistant director. Uh, and she was mentioning to me, like, in the one on one, she was like, you know, I, I feel like I need to shave some shave some stuff off my plate because, you know, this committee, that committee, that committee, I, I just want to, you know, focus on these couple things. And so I'm like, let me ask you a question. I said, have you gained the experience that you wanted to gain while being a part of these committees? Yes. Check. Have you taken away valuable transferable experiences? Yes. Check. Is there someone else that can pick up the work if you're not there? Yes. Check. Then by all means, let it go. Let it go. And my expectation as your supervisor is not to have you in a space where you are or, or your supervisor should not be in a space where they will tell you, well, you need to stay on this committee and da da da, da and all that kind of stuff like that. No, a mentor should be a I mean, a, a, a supervisor should be a mentor and a coach. And so if you've gained those valuable skills that you wanted to gain and you've gained those experiences and things of that nature and you've made connections and there's someone else there to pick up the work, by all means, leave. And again, like Jeff said, I speak from a privileged position because I am at the director level. But at the same time, I, I've spent time there. You know, I've spent time as an assistant director, as a coordinator, as an area director, you know, wading through the weeds looking for someone to see my value and see my worth and all that kind of stuff like that. It does take a little time. It does. And, and it's in every field. It is in every field. Like, that's what I always try to get across to people. They're like, oh, I'm going to leave and I'm going to go here. It's like, it's just a different dressing over there, but you still got to work your way through and you're going to go through and you're going to overwork. You're going to, you're going to overextend yourself in that same place. It's the same thing I tell people who in California, like I, I know a ton of people who are like, yeah, I'm going to move to Atlanta. Mm -hmm. like, I don't know why black people think Atlanta is like you move to Atlanta and it's going to fix all of your problems. I'm like, no, it's just you in Atlanta. So all of the things that it's all your bad habits, all your toxic traits, all those things that goes with you to Atlanta. So if you are overworking in higher ed, when you leave, you're just going to overwork yourself in another field. Yes, they might pay you more for that so you can justify it, but you're still taking those same bad work habits with you, right? So when I tell people who are like looking to leave, and I know a lot of people, and I help you transition out, like I'm not, I'm not trying to keep anybody where they're not happy. Yeah, you absolutely. Leave, 
you want to leave? Yo, I got some connects who've pivoted out of higher ed and I can connect you with them. Right. Um, pivoting out of higher ed podcast is one of my former bosses, mm-hmm. teachers. Like she's trying to get me to pivot to her role or her her company that she works for. It's yeah. in higher ed, but it's not within the college or confined to an institution. Right. Uh, but I'm like, no, I still I still I still enjoy this. Like, I still yeah. enjoy what I do. And I think for a lot of people, you also have to be able to detach your work from you from you and your value so much we tie our value to who we are to our work so it impacts other aspects of our life outside of work nothing at work impacts my day-to-day outside of work nothing mm-hmm. like i can have a terrible day i can argue with faculty me and my boss could not see eye to eye like i can be completely frustrated but once 4:30 hits and i drive off that campus Yo, it's it's no longer with me. It's right. no longer with me. Yeah. Right. So like I don't take the the burnout from work and bring the burnout to home because now you're just you're burnt out everywhere. Yeah. Like, Some place got to be your safe haven. And that's my home. And I learned that when I worked in university housing. Yeah. Which you technically live like you live where you work. So you always feel like you're working. So like I have to learn how to detach. Like just because I live here doesn't mean that I'm working. So if I'm not on call, don't bother me. <laughs> like don't bother me. Right? Residents knocking on my door. Let me get your RA. Let me get the resident director on call. I'm not working right now. That's it. Right? Like you have to learn how to detach those things, and that's and that's kind of what I've learned to do. And I learned to you know do within I am comfortable. Do things that I'm comfortable doing within a capacity that I'm comfortable with. Right. And I stopped overextending myself like I did. And that doesn't mean that I care less about, you know, being the black student union advisor. No, I started this like at two institutions. Like, no, I started the black student union. So don't tell me I'm not passionate about it because I'm not at every black student union meeting. I'm not going to every event. No, because that's how you burn yourself out. I'm not, I'm not doing that to myself. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there's there's no mammal on earth that comes from its parent's body and instantly walks, right? That's called being precorial. No mammal, maybe there are some who walk within minutes, but they dang sure aren't coming out of their parent uh, or the host body walking immediately. And so I tell people all the time, Use that analogy when you think about your work life, right? Like sometimes you have to learn how to walk first and then get to where you want to be. And I know it's frustrating. I know I'm speaking from a place of privilege, but also realize that some of the worst supervisors that I've ever seen and that I've ever had are those people who ascended way too quickly, right? They they rose through the ladder way too quick. They didn't get the experiences they need. They didn't get the people skills that they need. They didn't get... The, the, the professional skills and the personal skills, they may be great at one area and horrible in a host of other areas. And so it's your job as a professional, if this is what you want to do, to make sure that you understand the complexities of what leadership actually looks like, right? Because leadership is hard. It is hard. Early on, when I, I took on this new role um, that I, you know, 
I took on a new role to be like a director of admissions, right? And I never was in admissions before. Um, the most professional staff I ever supervised, I would say, was two people, mm. right? And then overnight, it went from two people to 14. Mm. So it was 14 people, and it was a brand new position to me. Like, I never worked in the realm of admissions. So I had to learn admissions. Right. So what I, there were times during this phase where I would have to, in a, in a meeting with my whole team, I apologize. Like, yo, I'm sorry that y'all are experiencing my growing pains as I'm learning how to supervise 14 people. Right. As I'm learning how to, as I am learning admissions, like I, I know I am making mistakes along the way and it's impacting your growth. It's impacting your experience. Right. And I felt I needed to make those apologies because I wish some director that will go nameless who rose really, really quickly. Yep. Right. And didn't really understand that. Um, and yo, homie, if you listening to this, it's not you. It's a different person. <laughs> <laughs> I had two people who ascended really quickly. Okay. But one of them, I'm not talking about you right now. It's when I was in North Carolina. So if you're listening to it, it ain't you. So got to do that disclaimer because I don't want people, you know, I ain't trying to ruin relationships for no reason. And if it is you, like Tyra Beck said, learn something from this. <laughs> <laughs> but if you feel if you feel it's you, like, there might be some aspect in there, right? But yeah. anyway, uh, rose really, really quickly. And made like made me quit my job, like made me leave the institution I was at. Luckily, I had another. Luckily, I got hired during the like student affairs cycle of hiring. I went to TPE. I did all these things. So it was like I quit. Like I'm not coming back at the end of this year. I will finish this contract year out, but I am done because your growth and development pains is really making me hate my job and making it really, really difficult to work for you. Yeah. Like, so I, that, what you said is real. Like she's ascended she way too, I tried to stay gender neutral, but <laughs> ascended way too quickly, way, yeah. way too quickly. And it ruined a department. Like we fell apart. Um, and I understand like you, you feel like you, you have some skills, some talents, right. To accomplish things that you see other people not accomplishing but it's so much more that comes with being once you get that director title your things change drastically yeah and i try to tell people as a coordinator as much as i do to to build you up to take on my role there's still a lot that you don't see there's still a lot that you don't see there's still it gets like you think it's political now as a coordinator when you step into this role, wow, wow, right? Like, as you were talking about, like trying to post salaries, you wouldn't think that is a fight that I have to make, but that is a fight that I have to make that you don't know. Absolutely. Like, there's so many battles that y'all don't see that your director, if they're a good director, if they're a good leader, that they fight that you have no clue about and you mm. shouldn't. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like I'm 
I'm always in the boxing ring, right? I'm always fighting for my team. I'm always fighting for my department. And it takes away from my ability to be effective on the administrative end on a day-to-day, right? Like with the supervision, with the management, with the guidance and support of the students and all that kind of stuff like that. Because I am navigating political arenas behind the scenes that I don't allow my team to be privy to. And and, and it's for their protection, right? Uh, a, A good supervisor will protect you from... You know, you might get hit with a couple bullets, but we're shielding you from the thousands that have come our way and <laughs> guiding you through this landmine maze of things that happen and that are happening to the department. But we're doing our best and, and, and we're only human. We're only human. I, I say it all the time. Like, I'm, I'm your Kevlar. Yeah. I am your bulletproof vest. Like. The shots I take for you, for mistakes you make that I don't acknowledge that you make, that I just say, oh, no, that was a process on our end that we need to clean up and fix. When I know I've trained you on this and you made that mistake. Right. (laughs) Um, But it's these like I tell people all the time, yo, you think you want to be a director and manage staff, but it is highly overrated at times. Highly overrated. I sent one of my friends the director position this week, and she was like, oh, no, thank you. I have no interest in supervising. (laughs) (laughs) I said, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. When I tell people, yo, I want to be a VP, they're like, I don't aspire to do that at all. Yeah, I don't. I am good at where I'm at. Like, I am good at where I am at. Right. But that's knowing knowing who you are and knowing what like what you're willing to put up with and do. Like, I'm willing to even go deeper into the political realm and fight this never ending battle to fix a broken system. Right. Higher ed is a broken system. It is. It is broken. It is broken. It is a battle. It's a fight every day. It's exhaustive. It's tiring. I get it. Right. Like I get why people leave. I'm not like, Oh my God, this is the best field in the world. Why do you want to leave? Like I get why people want to leave. Like, trust me, I do. Trust me. And that's why, like, you want to go? Let me help you. Yes. Right? Like, this is, we make things unnecessarily hard at times. Like, unnecessarily hard. Like, I'm wearing a BSU shirt. Right? (laughs) But, you know, some fights you got to do just to get a shirt purchased? Exactly. (laughs) It's like, yo, why is this so hard? All, All we want is a shirt. And if you're a public institution, you better not use those public funds because <laughs> that that fun ten account, no shirts, no shoes, no frills, no fun. If you use that for shirts, shoes, frills, and fun, guess where your ass gonna be? In them shirts, shoes, frills, and fun with no job, <laughs> right? Like yo, everything I do stands up to an audit. So right. every time someone says they want to do something, I'm like nope, nope. They, that's an audit. That's something we get audited on every year. We can't yep. do that. Like. Yes, I know this request is very reasonable. It makes perfect sense. I'm not saying this is an outlandish request. This makes perfect sense. But education code says no. It, ma- it doesn't make sense to them. So therefore, we not doing it. Yeah. And for some people, they can take it. For some people, it's just too much. It's like, I can't deal with it. I can't do this. And I get it. Yeah. Like It's a broken system. And it is. I'm trying to fix it. And I knew that going in. I knew that it was a broken system going in. So that's why I can deal with some of these things a little bit better. So I think we do a poor job of in grad school programs actually telling people what this field actually is and what they're going to do. 
you learn a lot about Zoom development theory. You have an assistantship that still kind of keeps you mm-hmm. somewhat on the undergrad side where you see all the fun. But, yo, once you pull back the layers of higher ed, yo, it is nasty. It is dirty. And I haven't even started talking about as a student affairs professional dealing with faculty yet. That's a whole nother episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and on that uh actually educated the foolish you got anything for us since we 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 at the hour mark so uh oh we talked about Kyle Rittenhouse <laughs> a little bit right okay was this educated or foolish for him to have a friend rent a semi-automatic weapon an AR what, 15, 14, something like that? Go across state lines. All in the name of protecting buildings. Educated or foolish? What's your thoughts? Trial be damned. What are your thoughts on the actions that led to the trial? As a 17-year-old white male in this cisgendered white male in this country, mm-hmm. educated. Yeah, yeah. Because you're going to get away. What I got to fear. Yeah. Like, what do I have to fear? Like, I know I'm going to be protected. What do I have to fear? That's sad. Nothing's going to happen to me. Now, what I was going to post and I deleted it because I try not to post on social media with emotion. Right? Yeah. For any person of color, any black person, y'all black ass better not try that. No, no. Right. We've seen black men get killed with walking with a toy gun in Walmart. Yep. Gun down. No questions asked. We we know of Tamir Rice, a little boy, 13. gun down, playing with a fake gun in a park. Yep. Don't you dare think your black ass, whether you're in a legal carry state or not, can walk around with a with a Glock, with a handgun. Yeah. Let alone an AR fucking 15. Crazy. Just walk around, shaking hands, high-fiving with the cops, getting congratulated. Right? So any anybody, anyone else that is not a cisgender white male is foolish. Right? And I don't even try to be like, oh, imagine if he was about... I, no, there's no need to imagine. We all know. Right? And I'm going to take it a step further because we always put it in the context of black and white, right? What if he was Muslim? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That poor baby would not have made it into that area. Cal Rittenhouse is a fucking terrorist. He is a terrorist. What he did was was threaten people with an AR-15. And sure had the nerve to claim self-defense when they tried to defend themselves from a kid walking around with an AR-15. Sure did. They had the nerve After to fucking shot put somebody. ugly cry on a stand. So, for a white male, educated, because nothing's going to happen. That's, That's what the sad. system was doing to protect you. You have people there to protect you. Anybody else, don't do it, right? Like, as y'all are rioting and protesting, I won't even call it rioting, protesting, and in Washington, don't none of I don't want to see anybody, any person of color with a handgun because y'all will be murdered on the spot. Right? I had I have a friend who's a listener, right? Mm-hmm. In the army. He's 
been deployed to Iraq multiple times, right? Leaving his babies all the time to serve our country. And he was like, yo, what if that was me? I was like, yo, you could have been in your army fatigues. Yep. And they still would have gunned you down. Still would have. Still. 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 All of your decorated, your decorated officer, all those things wouldn't even matter. Mm. That's the heartbreaking part about a country that we, yo, we love our country, dog. Right? Now, we might not sing that national anthem and do all those other things, no. but ain't no other place we want to be. That's very true. Ain't no other place we want, ain't no other place we want to fight for. This is the reason why we fight so hard for these things, because we care. Like, we care. We want our country to be better. Right. Like, why? We can, we have to do better. And the way to do better, y'all get out there and vote. And that's it for this episode of the podcast. I'm out. Peace.